0: Welcome to the Equestrian Connection podcast from WeHorse, the online riding academy. My name is Danielle Kroll, and I'm your host. On this week's episode, we're talking with Josepha Guillaume, international horse trainer and instructor, and author of her book Dressage in Hand. Based in Belgium, Josepha comes from a solid classical dressage background, but has been working mostly with injured and traumatized horses for the last 20 years. The art of keeping horses healthy and happy or bringing them back to health and happiness, no matter what happened to them has become her specialty and her life's work. I've been reading her book and it's so insightful. I can't wait for this conversation. Join me to learn from Yosefa and discuss things like dressage in hand, body language, and what horses want us to know. Let's go. Yes, if, uh, I'm so glad that you're on the podcast today, um, I have been reading your book. And honestly, it's it's been taking me a little while to to fully read um, the book because there is so much detail and interesting concepts and aha moments that I I sometimes when I'm reading it, I have to stop and put it down to let myself absorb what it is that i've been reading and i i just love it and i'm so excited to talk to you today so welcome to the podcast and thank you for being here
1: thank you so much Uh, i'm happy to be here and i'm so happy to talk to you and um yeah thank you for having me i'm honored
0: awesome so let's dive right in and we'll go back to the beginning how did you get into horses and what were your first few years like as an equestrian
1: um, well, I never had a chance actually because my grandfather was uh, a horse person and he would always take me when I was a baby everywhere where there were horses. His friends had horses. So I always saw horse faces above my, uh, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> my stroller. Right, yes. So, uh, yeah, he never gave me a chance. And um, since I, my first memories are actually of horses. So, uh, yeah, I, I've always been, as long as I can remember, a, a horse person. One of my first words were horse, actually, even before I said horse. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's how it happened. I don't know if it is something in your DNA or if my grandfather's a full or maybe a mix, but that's how it happened.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, what were your first few years like? Like, as you did, you have ponies? Did you get into competing? What did that look like for you?
1: Um, well, I I grew up with my grandparents, and uh, they lived. Uh, they were retired and lived on a small pension, so we didn't have uh, money for for our own horses. But luckily, I lived in a village where there were uh, these carnival people that had uh, a large. Uh, Field where they had ponies that sort of bred themselves and took care of themselves. And uh, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted with those ponies because um, I would then, without knowing, uh, broke these ponies to be able to, uh, to be ridden for the carnival, for the kids in the carnival. So I would, and I didn't have anything. I didn't have a bridle. Didn't have a saddle. Oh <laughs> I remember uh, fashioning uh, bridles out of a scarf or or, or rope or something. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I was able to just you know be with with the horses and uh, not have any influence from outside and just do my own thing. And then later on, when I was I think eleven, I was finally able to go to uh, a real riding school and learned how to properly properly ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, competition, I did that sometimes, but it didn't really interest me, to be honest. Uh, I did it more to have a day with my horse than being interested in the competition. So I never was really a competition rider. It never really interested me that much.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, what at what point um, throughout your, your journey did you start to, to look at in-hand training? Was that something that you just, it was instilled from in you in the beginning and that's how you worked with horses or was there sort of a turning point that you thought, I, I think I need to get off and let's start here. Are you interested in learning more about dressage in hand, groundwork and horsemanship? Do you want to advance your riding and overall skills, but don't have access to the ideal resources in your area? Does the idea of learning about horse training whenever and wherever, and at a price that won't break your horse bank sound appealing to you? Check out wehorse.com to access over 150 online courses with top trainers from around the world. We have courses on everything from dressage, to groundwork, to show jumping, to bodywork. And as a member, you get access to everything in our Wehorse library to watch whenever you want. And we also have an app, which means you can download a course or video to watch without Wi-Fi, Perfect for those days at the Byron when you want a quick dose of training inspiration before your ride or training session. So what are you waiting for? Go to WeHorse.com and check out our free seven day trial to access our WeHorse library and see if it's a good fit for you. We can't wait to see you in there. And now back to the episode.
1: Um, Well, it was always familiar to me throughout my youth because my uh, grandfather was a very huge fan of the Spanish writing school of Vienna and Mm -hmm. they show uh, work in hand there uh, all the time. And it's also the way how they and other classical riding schools in Europe uh, prepare a horse for riding and uh, keep it as an extra way of, of training the horse to keep the horse healthy and responsive and so forth. So to me, this was always part of uh, of equestrianism. Um, I never really thought about, about it as something special or as just something normal. And then when I was, uh, Young, I think around 14, I helped the local um, owner of the riding school where I was with, uh, as they say, breaking in horses. Uh, we called it, uh, in, in, our, in our language, we would call it, make them adapted to the saddle and rider. That's what we called it. And we would always start with uh, walking the horse in hand, uh, letting them get into the reins. And then we would start with the work on the lunch first. Uh, teach them everything and uh, then we would very slowly start with the saddle and the rider so for me it was always normal to do things in hand also when we had a young horse we want to accustom the horse to the traffic then we would walk the horse in hand uh, through the traffic Uh, you know if you wanted to get them accustomed to a new environment we would just walk the horse in hand so To me, that was always a normal part of of equestrianism. However, when I started uh, to professionally work with rehabbing horses who suffered uh, physical or mental problems, uh, horses that couldn't be ridden anyway, um, working in hand would be the solution to to remedy these problems uh, logically. And at that point, um, it became my speciality Um, because of me working mostly with horses that couldn't be ridden and had problems and me rescuing horses like that myself instead of buying, you know, good, healthy horses. uh, I was more next to the horses than I uh, was in the saddle eventually. So I really became this, you know, uh, foot soldier. But at the same time, I was working uh, six to eight horses a day for for decades.
0: Wow. And now what inspired you to write the book? Because it, it's one thing to practice. It's another thing to think, I need to write a book on this. What inspired you to create such a, a full book? And we'll get into what I mean by full um, a little bit later. But what inspired you to write the book Dressage in Hand?
1: Um that I feel like this is what horses need people to know. Um, It worked so well. Everything that is in the book has worked so well for hundreds of horses, and for people that uh, had a horse that had problems and that couldn't be resolved, not by a vet, not by other trainers, regular training. Um, And yeah, I had so many success stories with, with this. A complete way of working based on what is species appropriate to horses. Um, that I thought I can't get this round fast enough. I can't teach everybody, even though I I have given this information through my instructor school. But this needs to reach every horse person in the world to benefit from, to have the horse benefit from. And I I truly I truly think I know that. If horses would write a book, it would be a lot like that.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. And now, why and how do you think practicing dressage in hand can help horses?
1: Well, uh, first of all, a horse is not made to be ridden, it's not uh, it's not uh, a natural thing to do. So I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I say when you do it, you have to make sure that your horse's mind and body is properly prepared to withstand having a rider on uh, regularly and over a period of, of years or, or, or lifetime. And dressage in hand is a way to, uh, to help your horse with that. You can prepare your horse's body uh, to be ridden safely and to enjoy the riding. And next to that, it really expands on uh, the relationship you have with your horse. So it's also not just for the safety of the horse, but also for the safety of the rider. Because if you have a good relationship together, uh, you're much more safe on your horse's back. Your your horse will respond to you. Your horse will take care of you. And your horse will, uh, in situations where you normally just react purely instinctual, uh, first uh, turn to you and say, what are we going to do about this and that? Are these few seconds uh, that could save you from really having a bad fall? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, nobody really enjoys, uh, I think. Um, so yes, uh, it's for the for the safety of the horse to make sure that your horse can uh, can carry you without uh, having without sustaining injuries to his body, uh, which riding can. Um, horses can really get harmed if they're, if they're ridden in a way that doesn't uh, support their biological um, way of moving. So dressage in hand is a tool to make sure that the horse's body is able to withstand riding and even become more healthy and more powerful um, than it would be without. It's mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. a speech-appropriate way to make up for the, the movement and the playful movement uh, feral horses would have. They play together to strengthen their body, to supple the body. So dressage in hand is a way to uh, duplicate that, and uh, a speech-appropriate way to have your horse uh, work on his own body, in fact, mm-hmm. to make it more healthy, more powerful, more supple. Uh, like a a fitness uh, type of training for humans, I would
0: say. Mm-hmm. I've gone back and and I'm currently practicing um, in hand work with my horses, and and I've been following your book step by step, thinking, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And I've been, like I said, following it step by step. I'm tempted to want to jump ahead, but I I've been starting at the beginning, and my horses. They're almost looking at me in this way, like, oh, you're listening to me. And it's it's just been the neatest experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it for all the riding I could handle. I'm just absolutely loving doing in hand work right now with them. And I think they're getting a lot out of it too. Um, so my next question for you, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit in the questions that I had written down because when I had said a little bit earlier your book is so full. I I truly mean that it's not just talking about in-hand work. It's not just laying out the exercises that you can do. You truly lay a foundation for AIDS and, you know, body language, which, you know, we will discuss as one of the AIDS. Um, You talk about nutrition and hoof care and the horse is a a well-rounded species that we're here to, to take care of and what made you want to include all of that information in the book because you could have just written strictly exercises um, but you included so much more which would have been a lot of work for you so what made you want to include all that extra detail
1: because uh, even if you are the best trainer in the world if your horse is lacking nutrition or movement in his free time or uh, stands on four different hooves, or has his uh, has shoes on, which prevent him from uh, having a good hoof mechanism, or um, has an infection in the body. You know, uh, all these things has has a saddle that that doesn't fit well, or a bridle that doesn't fit well, or uh, his teeth are not looked after um he doesn't have enough roughage or forage to eat which which makes uh for instance stomach ulcers i mean there are so many things that can go wrong and you will never get a 100% functioning horse and you will never get the result you're looking for and you will never have a completely healthy happy functioning horse if you don't work on everything Mm-hmm. So um, I know many trainers that um, they are good trainers, but they miss that the saddle is pinching or that uh, the hoof angles are not okay. Or that the horse lives in a, in a horse box for 24 hours uh, a day and never gets out and doesn't have any friends or doesn't have enough hay. Or um, that there is a disease like uh, PSSM or some other endocrine um disease and but the trainer doesn't see that then all the good training it will not make a difference the same there are people that uh, are chiropractors for horses and they do very good work but if they don't see that the horse lives in a box and stands for 24 hours or if they don't see that the training the horse goes goes through is harm harmful or if they don't see that, uh, again, the horse has a pinching saddle or st- stands on four different roofs, for instance, uh, or maybe gets a very sugary grass or very sugary uh, starchy food, no matter how many times the chiropractor will come, the problem will not be fixed. It will only be a temporary relief for the horse. So, in order to get it right, you have to make sure that everything, is done right, and what is right is just looking at what is a basic horse. What does a basic horse need? What is species appropriate? And if you do that right, then you will get uh, good results and healthy and happy horses. Mm-hmm. The same way as you would never feed chicken food to a fish, <laughs> for instance, or think to have uh, humans only eat dry kibble or something. Um, you have to do what works for the species, for the individual, what works best, how we have been uh, evolving for millions of years, that is the way it will work now. It's actually, it's very simple when you think about it. You just have to do take care that the basic things uh, an individual has evolved on for millions of years. If you take care of that, that the, that the individual has that, then you have the best chance of a healthy, thriving individual, and this is woefully lacking in the world at the moment. To be honest, mm-hmm. we are not taking care of them in a species-appropriate manner, and this is what has to change. And I hope that my book uh, will play a part in
0: that. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree with you, and I. I do see that your book will play a part in it. We just need to get it in the hands of so many other people. (laughs) Um, But there, and that's why I said, I I just, I feel like I, I would be reading it and then I'd have to set it down and I can't go any further because I just need to absorb the information. And then I pick it up again later, but I can't keep reading because I don't want to miss that very important thing that you had just said. So I need to let it absorb. And, and I, I just think that it's a very important book and I, and I can't thank you enough for writing it. Thank you. And so in your book, um, you list body language as the first and most important aid. Can you talk about um, like why it's important for equestrians to be aware of their body language and to understand what each movement and posture could mean to their horse?
1: Yes, of course. Um most people know that horses talk through body language. And uh all of them as you know as heard of laying the ear flat and all that sort of thing. Um, but what they don't realize is that uh horses also respond to the body language of other species, such as humans, for instance. And so when you're with your horse all the time and you're moving, you're always talking to your horse, always. And horses will respond to that. Um, So for instance, uh, what I often see is someone wants a horse to move forward, but they stand in front of the horse and they sort of push their body towards the horse. But they are saying to the horse, come towards me. And then the horse doesn't want to do it and they get angry with the horse. But actually the horse is responding to your body language in his language. So as we are always moving and always sending out information to the horse, that that happens anyway, is it not then a good idea to know what the translations of our movements are towards the horse and then use that to set up Mm -hmm. a two-way communication between uh, the horse and, and us? If you do that, everything will be like a hundred percent more easy, safer, and you will be more happy, the horse will be more happy. And it's actually not that complicated uh once you figure it out. So, and I'm surprised to this day that somehow I see seem to be the only one that has the translation between um horses and humans in that very simple and subtle language that they respond to. And I get messages from all over the world constantly. People saying, me, you just, you just told me that the horses are like, wow, <laughs> you can actually understand me now and you can listen to me and that they are very interested in their training and they want to do more of it. And uh, what people also don't realize is that the movements we see as dressage you know, shoulder in, um, travers, in, and so forth, yielding that these are actually the words and the sentences that horses say to each other. So, we want these exercises when we do competition, but we also want them if you want to build a healthy body. So, by mirroring our body in these sort of movements, movement so you have a conversation and you're building a relationship and your horse is working on bettering his body so it's like uh, three strikes and one and yeah why wouldn't you do that I mean it's it's easy it's fun and it only has advantages for both horse and human so mm-hmm. it's it, to this day that we never read hear or see anything about that
0: while in the meantime, it's so simple and it is fun. I think there's a bit of a misconception thinking oh anything in hand um is boring and slow and I just want to get on and ride, you know? And but I have an absolute blast when I'm working in hand with my horses and and like I said I I feel like they're having a lot of fun too. Um and there's just something so rewarding about the idea that my horse and I can communicate when I'm standing on the ground next to it. Versus, in order for me to get my horse to do that, I have to get on its back and you know and and move it physically or something. Um, there's just something that's so rewarding about having that shared conversation and communication um, that makes it even more fun.
1: Yes, yes, it does absolutely, and it's so fun because you can see your horse's expression and you can mm-hmm. look him in the eyes, which uh, in a sense, also promotes a sort of equality between the two. And, and yeah, and, and when you're having fun, you all see that too. And yeah, it's just, it really becomes this, this kind of playful dance between the two of you, uh, which has not no comparison to to writing. And I'm not saying I never write or I don't like to write, but yeah, me too. I have to say there's nothing like, the dressage in hand uh, with a horse that really responds to it and really wants to to further that and to, you know, when they, they offer you new exercises uh, and you see how how proud they are and, and how much fun they are having and how they are feeling like, oh, this is really good for my body. I feel so powerful. I feel so, so supple. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's nothing like it. And I know that uh, to most people, it is very, very addictive. and. I hear of many people who tell me I put the saddle on and I'm just going to do a little bit of massage in hand to warm up. And then I'm an hour in and there's no time to ride anymore. And actually I don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. yeah.
0: So you talk about collection and contra collection. And so I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are familiar with the term collection, um, or or may maybe what we generally think of as collection, um, but they may be unfamiliar with the term contra collection, which I know was new to me, and and now that I know it, I can't unsee it. You know, you see horses, and you're like, okay, I see it, I see it, and you see it everywhere. Um, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So contra-collection and horizontal balance. Can you explain what that is and then how dressage in hand can help um, reverse the effect of contra-collection?
1: Yes. So there is this common misconception that horses lean on their forehand naturally. Um, and this is actually not true because if natural horses were to do that, they would have been extinct very long time ago because they would would, would injure their front legs for leaning on them. And it would also always be too late if they were a predator and they needed to flee, which they do from putting weight on the hindquarters first, and then they have more power to get away fast. So um, it's not true that horses naturally lean on their on their forehand. They do, however, or in other words to say, they are more heavy in the front because of the head and neck, but this is a different thing. So if you put rider weight on, then that weight uh, gets added to the weight on the front leg. So this is why people want collection. But horses, uh, natural horses that have never been ridden or feral horses, they have uh, what I call a horizontal balance. So they can uh, move their weight to the front and they can move their weight to the back. Uh, all the time, and they are constantly balancing that while they are standing, walking, playing, eating, and, and whatever. So uh, that's a natural balance that horses have, with which they are a little bit more heavy in the front, but they don't necessarily constantly lean in the front. So they're constantly shifting their weight from uh, to the center of gravity, to the back, uh, to the front, wherever it's needed at, at that moment. This is also how they communicate with each other, where they place the weight of the shoulders is important to what they are communicating to another horse. So they have to be able to put the weight in, in the hindquarters and uh, to make their sort of horizontal balance where the shoulders and the hindquarters are in a sort of level uh, position. And then sometimes they lean forward for whatever reason, maybe if they want to graze something or drink or also a playful thing. So this is a normal thing. What does happen, though, is if a horse gets um, ridden too young, for instance, before that, the growth plays uh, have uh, closed in the back, uh, usually before the age of three, four, even five. And I, I hear more and more that horses are ridden even with the age of two, which should never ever be done. Let me be clear about that. Uh, And if training is forced, for instance, so the the head and neck is forced in a certain position, a lower position or a higher position, doesn't even matter, so that the horse cannot balance himself because the head and neck, which are like uh, the balancing instrument for them, um, then the weight will ultimately go to the front legs. And if this is done over a period of time, the muscles will develop in that way, so that the horse will uh, start always lean on his front legs. The same way if we sit behind the desk all day or look at our eye for all day, that our muscles will develop in that way. But if we are uh, a dancer, for instance, you will see that a dancer has a very straight posture the muscles will develop in that way. So the same goes for horses. So then you get these horses that after some time aren't able to collect anymore. They cannot put their weight to the back. They cannot lift the shoulders anymore because the, the muscles are developed so that they are completely leaning on their front legs. And that is what I call control collection. And what you see is a, a dropped thorax, a drop with us. Uh, a very heavily developed tricep uh, area of the horse. And um, obviously the, the back and uh, the upper neck and the hindquarters are, are less developed. And uh, yeah, the horse is, is, is rendered in a sort of uh, constantly unbalanced uh, way of standing and going. And this will not go away by itself. You have to actively help a horse to come out of that shape, help the horse to move in a way that, uh, again, uh, develops the muscles in the correct way, supporting the, the horse so that he can make his weight uh, horizontal, his balance horizontal, and put his weight in the back whenever he wants and needs to. And dressage in hand is the best way to do that because you don't have the added weight of the rider. So uh, helping horses off the shoulder, Out of contra collecting is something I have been doing daily for the last 20 years or so with hundreds and hundreds of horses. So um, it's a really um, wide scale problem
0: at the moment. Why do you think so many horses are affected by contra collection?
1: Um, The problem is that they are started too early and that they then are ridden forcefully. Um, and that they don't have enough free movement to counteract the force training. So say if a horse would live on a track or on a large piece of land in a herd, they would ha- have moved freely and they have more chance of uh, keeping their muscles developed in the correct way. But if the horses live in, in a box and the only way of training is how the human forces the training Yeah, then the muscles will 100% develop into the unbalanced way of going and the leaning on the forehand. And unfortunately, uh, almost in all equestrian disciplines, we see that horses are trained on their forehand. So people force head positions, uh, they sit too far to the front, and um, they don't ask the horse to lift the shoulders. They are always just uh, for some reason, uh, forcing head and neck down around. And uh, yeah, th- this is the way to get your horse uh, injured, to get him to drop the thorax and to get him to uh, go in a state of contra-collection, which ultimately, ultimately will result in injury to the front legs, um, the back, the neck, the shoulders, the withers but also the back legs because they have to push the body The body mass forward instead of being able to um, suspend the weight by means of bending the hindquarters. So mm-hmm. and we see this a lot with horses that aren't even that old yet, between 7 and 12 years. Uh, the whole body is full with arthritis and uh, all kinds of injury that stems from an unnatural way of moving, which would be normal fat.
0: Any species,
1: if you do the same to humans or to a dog, they would have the same result. Uh, so, yeah, it's mind-blowing why people are are actually doing this. And um, I mean, there's no other animal in the world. We um, force a head position to uh, put reins on to force them in a head position <laughs> or even put... Uh, iron shoes on, for that matter. Correct me if I'm mistaken, but I think the horse is the only one we think it's necessary to do that to. And nobody really can explain me why, but I can explain you that the result is always harm to uh, to the horse uh, if um, that way of of training and and keeping the horse uh this can be even weeks or months but the harm will come the injury will come mm-hmm.
0: my hope is that it's a lack of knowledge in the equestrian industry it's not um that people are aware and choosing to still do um you know forceful training and, and things like that i My hope is that it's a lack of knowledge and and that if we can continue to spread the knowledge, we'll see a change. Um, You know, I maybe that's a little too optimistic, but uh, it's it's my hope that, you know, we can take this knowledge um, that that people are like you are, are sharing and and spread it so that we'll see a shift within the horse world that force world training starting so early, um, certain forms of equipment, um, and way of lifestyle is, is shifted. And so
1: I have the same hope. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you worked, I I believe that I read that you worked as a fitness instructor and that you practice meditation. um, How do you, I also, um, ironically, I also worked as a fitness instructor and and yoga teacher um, and I practice yoga and meditation. Yeah, so I am all about the benefits um, for equestrians. Um, So how do you think these two things are important for working with horses?
1: Yes, I think actually that's an important issue you brought up because, because I was a trainer of humans, uh, before I was a professional trainer of horses. Um, I think that there I made the connection between the two that it is actually the same thing. And you wouldn't put a human in draw reins or, or force him in a position. I mean, you explain to the human how to do the exercise right and uh, why to do the exercise right. And um, To me, therefore, there is no, no different way of doing it with horses. And um I also know that the rewarding system works best to motivate uh, humans uh, to work out because working out is hard <laughs> mm-hmm. and you also always have to listen to their objections is it just soreness because the exercise is new and heavy or are they injured that is important to know and if you don't know these things you won't have many clients as, as a as a fitness trainer if you injure your clients you won't have clients so Unfortunately for horses, they cannot choose their trainers and they cannot walk away if they get injured. So it's even more important that they can tell you if something does not feel right. And it is even more important that you know which exercises they have to do and how they have to execute them in order for the exercises to be beneficial to them. Because, you know, we love horses, so that's what we say. <laughs> so you want to keep them healthy. Um so and that's also, I think, why my system, for lack of a better word, with horses is a lot like how I would train a human, you know, the different muscle groups, for instance, and then the way I would motivate them, like, uh, you can do one more, do one more. Uh, Just five more. Yes, that is great. Very good. Good. Yes, excellent. You did it so great. It's actually the same way. And horses really respond to that in the same way as humans do because everybody likes a compliment and everybody likes to hear that they're doing great. And everybody wants to be motivated that way. And of course, with horses, we we give treats. We don't necessarily do that with humans, but we can give them like points or something. It works the same way. The, The psychology behind it. Is the same way, and the biology behind it is the same way. So um, that is, I think, what heavily influenced my way of training with horses is how I would train a human in, in the fitness uh, way of training. And I see dressage in hand as, as a form of fitness for horses. Uh, the meditation I followed, uh this both of these things are a long time ago when I was still young and fit by the way, (laughs) Uh, and um, the meditation, I followed Buddhist meditation weekly for six years. And after that, the uh, teacher signed the class over to me. So then I did the leading meditations for for almost a year. And how did that influence me is that um, if you connect to an animal, especially a horse, while you're riding or while you're training have it almost feels like a sort of meditation because you are in a sort of awareness and a sort of calmness that animals respond to. And research uh, shows that uh, animals have these brain waves, uh, which are normal to them. The brain waves they would use every day. Um, oh my dog, <laughs> that's, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And um, humans have different brain waves, except for when they are meditating or praying. So, when you want to um, interact with animals, especially horses, and you want to have them respond to you, these are the, the best brain waves to function on. So, when you know how to meditate, it's far easier for you to go in that mental state or to those brain waves. So, when you uh, can control your breathing and you can control uh, the way you feel. you can control your awareness around you. Um, yeah, it's it's much easier starters point for you to uh, start uh, communicating and connecting with animals and of course, train them. Um, and it is much safer if you are more aware of your body, of your breathing uh, and uh, everything around you and but the horses is responding to what you are responding to, so that was very helpful, and that is also why I chose to make breathing one of the aids that you can use uh, to work with horses. horses. Um, they communicate uh, with each other. Breathing is also an important, important part of uh, how they communicate with each other. For instance, if with one horse the breathing goes up high or the breeding stops then the other horses will know that there possibly is some form of danger and they will uh, mirror that way of breeding to be able to just you know very fast go into uh, flight or fight but if that horse that uh, started it starts to be low again and starts to grazing again and and uh, goes back into calm state then the other horses will follow the same way so this you can use while working with your horse and when you're breathing very heavily and high and or or you're keeping your breath in you're actually telling your horse that there's danger so if you can control your breathing and keep your breathing calm and quiet your body not only are you more aware you're also telling your Mm -hmm.
0: horse absolutely There's something that it's been quite interesting for me lately. Um, So I moved my two horses home in July. And um, so prior to that, I've always had them at boarding stables where somebody else was taking care of them. I was just showing up, you know, once a day for a couple of hours riding or working with them. And um, and so now ever since July, having them at home, I'm the one that I'm their touch point for everything, you know, their food, their cleaning, their everything. Um, And so we've really been able to build a much stronger bond this way. And um, so I live in a very forested area. So all around their paddocks um, are tons of woods and trees. And so sometimes we'll hear like a squirrel or a bird or something like that rustling through the trees and, and they'll suddenly stop breathing and they stare into the distance. And so I'll go, and let a big sigh out and they'll go (gasps) and go back to whatever they were doing and they we've yeah like we've really been able to tune into our breath and it's been a, a a big I've I've always known the importance of the breath but I've never noticed um how much they're truly tuned in because they're not even looking at me but oh I hear that she breathes, so all must be well. I can take a breath and go back to my hay. Um so it's been it's been really cool to notice the the breathing um and how much that, like you had mentioned, that truly is an aid. yes. And now you also have a school for riding instructors. Um what made you want to teach instructors? Um, in two thousand
1: and eleven, I was teaching really all across the planet, and um, I was taking in horses for training, and I was teaching, 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 and then I was so burned out for fear of saying no, because I wanted to help each and every horse, that uh, that really scared me. I, I really was uh, so burned out, and I couldn't do much of anything anymore, and um, my husband then said, you know, what you should do is teach instructors, because if you teach instructors, they can help. <laughs> and the more instructors you teach, the more they can help people. And then you don't have to, you know, uh, kill yourself <laughs> like you're doing now. And mm-hmm. yeah, at the, at the moment, um, I thought I couldn't do yet another thing. Uh, but you said a replacement for. So I thought that wasn't going to work. I already had taught uh, trainers in South Africa, though. Um, Because they thought that it would be a good idea if I trained the instructors instead of uh, just the pupils, which worked very well. And then my husband put up uh, an internet uh, page with uh, my school. And within uh, two days, we had 10 participants. (laughs) And that's how it started in 2012. So then I, I focused for uh, several years, purely on almost a decade, so purely on uh, training trainers. So and um, that was a very, very uh, good idea. I thank my husband for that, because now you have about 40 or 45 trainers that teach exactly what is in my book, and I don't want to make copies of me. You know, I just want to add on to their unique perspective and and experience. So they won't do everything 100% the same as me, but they have the knowledge and they also are focused on the welfare of the horse first. So not the riders and not uh, having uh, as many pupils. And No, they are focused on, on the horse welfare first and they have the knowledge to be able to place the horse welfare first. So... Um, I'm really happy about that. In 2019, though, um, the school went over to my best uh, pupil who was with me already then for I think 15 years. And she is running the school now for me because uh I needed uh some more time for myself and uh, to to be able to write books and get the information via that uh way out so uh, i do still teach uh, guest lessons at the school they always feel like they're uh, some sort of celebrity guest or something so i really enjoy that but the school is now 100 percent in care of uh, sandy van de goerberg my my best student
0: well we're very glad that um you're able to have the space and time to, to take this teaching that you have and and send it out to the masses um, in the forms of books and then also educating instructors like you had mentioned that then they can share the information and then their students share the information and and you know it's a trickle effect so exactly yeah so what is your hope for your work's future? Um, I know we talked a little bit about the hope for equestrians that we'll, we'll have all this new knowledge, but what's your hope for your work's future and then also your hope for equestrians in general?
1: Well, my hope is that this knowledge and knowledge like this uh, becomes mainstream. And i rather have this yesterday than, than tomorrow. And, you know, humans are a lot like, uh, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Uh, We do a lot of things because others do them like that and we don't really think about why we're doing things the way we do. Um, So the more this becomes mainstream, the more people will see this, the more people will hear about it, the more uh, trainers and vets and scientists and uh, anyone that has anything to do with horses Talks about this and implements this, shows it, you know, gives gives a good example. Um, then we, again, we will have this this ink, pot, ink spot or, or trickle effect uh, to grow this out. But I also think that um, still today, even to you know little girls and little boys and bonds that play with their ponies, they look towards role models, uh, mostly in, in high-up competitions, so the Olympics and, and the national and international competitions. And I think what we need to do, people like like you and me, is somehow um, get the message across to uh, our role models that it doesn't have to interfere with their competition rules if their horses, for instance, have their own lives and live on a track and that they can have uh, a diet of that is species appropriate and that they can have uh, bare feet uh, and all these things. And if they start doing it, then that will be the shortest route for everybody to do it. But as long as they keep them boxed up and have all sorts of special shoeing and do all sorts of their legs and don't uh, allow them to go out and play with their friends because they get injured, which ironically, not letting them go out with their friends each day is the way to get injured. And the way they are training horses is often the way to get injured. Um, that would be the shortest route. I know that will be difficult, but I think what we need to do, those who are on the, on the scientific side of things, we need to be working more together. And we need to sort of have one platform that gives out this uh, information of species appropriate living, species appropriate feeding uh, track systems, uh, which, which are uh, uh, the easiest way to have horses live safely uh, in, in herd uh, formation. Um, and, and, and obviously, species appropriate trainings, uh the, the pain phase scale, all these uh scientific things we have to support what we are saying. This is important because science convinces people. And no matter how good your experience is for the last 30, 40 years, people think it's anecdotal. So the science, and there's more and more science which which supports what we are saying. And that's a very good thing. I'm very happy with that. Um, We need to sort of bundle that and make sure it comes there wherever it's needed. So for instance, um, I asked uh, a lot of um, library stables why they keep holding on to horse boxes and not putting horses on a track. And then I get things like, well, if I uh, go over to a track system, then I have to pay 21% VAT, while if I keep them in boxes, it's only 6%. So it's also decision-making makers and lawmakers that have to have this information so that it becomes easier for, for library and equestrian facilities to make the transition. Often they want to, but they don't see how because uh, local counties and government are preventing them from that. So these are all sort of uh, factors that come to play, which we have to sort of tackle. And we all have to sort of get on board on and agree on that uh, that is what needed for our horses. Uh, to just you know have their basic rights map as as a species Mm -hmm. and we can do this with zoo animals why can we not do it for our horses our horses that have built our society we thank we have so much to thank them for can we at least give them the basic species appropriate needs that's literally all horses would ask of us And they would still give us all we want. They would be able to give more even. So, yeah, that would be, that's something I'm actually working on at the moment, trying to connect um, all sorts of uh, uh, contacts and lawmakers and uh, influential people inside and outside the equestrian world. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that that way we can have a faster, impact Mm
0: -hmm. I love that um this is just actually like a personal um question um so speaking of the track system um I have my horses in they have multiple different um paddocks and pastures depending on the weather some are sand with hay some are grass um And I looked at doing the track system and some people listening may recognize it as um, it's some people call it a pasture paradise where basically um, your horses are able to walk around a track and there's um, food and and different things along it to keep them moving um, and engaged rather than just standing around all day. Even if they're in a paddock, if they're standing at a hay box or something like that, they're just um, standing at the hay all day. So I looked at doing it and I wasn't sure how much space I would need. What is your recommendation for getting started with a track system? Um, And do you forego like a wide open pasture altogether? Do you swap between? Um, What is your information and and advice there?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, it's it's individual choice depending on your herd and your herd dynamics. If you have sometimes uh, different horses coming in um, because you're a livery, I would suggest that uh, the track is about uh, three to six meters wide, depending on the amount of horses. So that if horses were to uh, start fighting, there will always be room for more horses to to pass each other and and to uh, get away from So uh, a smaller track will uh, evoke more movement from the horses, but you have to take in account that horses are safe. And uh, I chose a track because um, horses can go round and round. And if you have a bully in there, the other horses can just move away from them like they would in nature. So you don't have any corners to get cut in. And that is the way for me it works uh, best because I have very difficult horses with difficult paws, antisocial horses and so forth. And then don't just throw all horses together like that. I mean, that takes a lot of uh, of work beforehand. But yeah, that is for me the safest way to prevent injury and fights and all that kind of thing. And um, then there are many horses that get ill from our cultivated grass. So the most grass we use in the Western world is actually to fatten cows uh, and to get milk. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. It's actually not a good nutrition for horses. So there are many horses that have um, uh, endocrine diseases like uh, Cushing and PSSM and so forth. And um, the the grass is often too starchy, too, too sugary. And uh, that is what causes the, the inflammation in the body and causes all kinds of... Uh, Uh, symptoms uh, to develop, so for for many horses, it's safer to just be on a a surface track uh, where there is no or almost no grass, and then just have hay uh, throughout the track. They can uh, munch on 24 hours a day, uh, which keeps them moving, but also make sure that they don't get um, too much uh, sugar and starch and carb uh, intake. So that would be my two reasons uh, for making the track system or the paddock paradise system um, mainstream, because this would just work for most horses and be the safest option for most horses. Obviously, um, if you have horses that can really, uh, that are good on, on uncultivated uh, on grass, yeah, by all means, put them uh, a few hours in the pasture or, or days or, you know, everybody knows their horse best, but some horses and especially horses that had laminitis in the past, it's best to, to never let them on the grass ever again and just keep them with hay and, and added minerals uh, because that's the safest for them.
0: Mm-hmm. I was also looking for at us. it in a way, as a way to just keep them moving. Um, yes. So my two, I'll put them out and I'll and I'll open up the gate so they can go out in the bigger pasture and, and walk around. And they don't, you know, they'll just go and they'll stand where they normally stand. And I'm thinking, okay, guys, we gotta get we gotta get moving here because our weather can be so up and down that you know we're not always in the ring and and doing stuff throughout the day. And it would just be nice to keep them um just moving more on their own. Um so yeah, I um I thought about it when I was setting up the paddocks. We may be rearranging things um anyway. So I I may take a, a good hard look at at setting up a track system um, for my two.
1: Yeah, yeah, when you start out, uh, just put in those uh, those plastic poles and uh, and, and make a track like that. And uh, when you find a way how it works, then you can make it more permanent. So in the beginning, uh, it's just, um, yeah, you have to just find out what works for the horses, what works for you and uh, tackle the problems as they come along until you have it the way you like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, however, if we were to do that and we were with rubber mats and all that sort of thing, you know, where, where the muddy season is, that is also much more sustainable than having all these concrete buildings where the horses uh, are stabled in. Also, um, if we give our horses hay, usually it's locally sourced, right? It's from the farmer next door. That's also very much sustainable than having constantly rice bran and soy and grain coming from uh, uh, other parts of the world brought in for our horses. So also on account of uh, sustainability, biodiversity, if you have a track, uh, sooner or later, you're going to want uh, plants and, and bushes and trees to accompany your track, which is also a good way for biodiversity. So I think this too can, uh, you know, improve the horse world and help us keep our social li- license, uh, as is talked about a lot. Uh, there are uh, factors in play in government that want to sort of uh, ban keeping horses and across because it's a bad footprint uh, on, on the, climate uh, level. These are ways we can say to that kind of lobby: like, Look, listen, uh, what we are doing is uh, actually very good for biodiversity. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, this is also a viewpoint that uh, I don't think we equestrians think about, but we should, we should. And I know that the track just tackles just about every problem that is or could be in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I certainly hadn't thought of that. Um, so that has is very eye-opening for me as well, a side of it that I I hadn't considered. So, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm going to look a little bit more seriously at this track system. Um, like I said, even like there's there's just so many different benefits to it. So, we um we ask our podcast guests four questions um and they're simple questions they're just meant to be quick and easy and um whenever you're ready we'll start with the first one so let me know if you're good to go shoot okay do you have a motto or a favorite saying yes
1: always follow your heart I like always it. follow your intuition that what what your belly is telling you that is always the right thing
0: mm-hmm. very true Who has been the most influential person in your equestrian journey?
1: I have to say these are three persons or personas. The first one was my first horse and my childhood love, Jimmy, that taught me how deeply a horse and human can love one another. The second one was my ex-bullfighter horse, Jamie, who taught me about traumas and how to handle them. And the third one was my recently uh, deceased, Owen, who actually was the one that taught me about horses' pride and, and how they want to develop. He was the one that uh, I sort of developed the equis universalis system with in order to help horses to, you know, help become the best person they can be physically and mentally and he was the one that founded the the school together with me and he was a huge influence on that and I'm very thankful for all his teachings even though it wasn't always easy (laughs) to to work with him but he taught me so much.
0: Mm. Now I know those listening can't see but is he that beautiful painting behind you? Yes, yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm That's special, I like that. If you could give equestrians one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Always look to what the horse actually is, and then you know what the horse actually needs. So always start from the basic horse and think about the horse as not living with humans. Think about the horse as how a horse would be if humans weren't on the planet. There lie all the answers for all your problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Please complete this sentence. For me, horses are everything. Mm. That's the most common answer that <laughs> our guests give, and it's it's just it just goes to show that as equestrians, like we we truly pour our hearts and our souls into these horses, and they are such a willing species, um, if if uh, if we give it right back to them. So I can't thank you enough um, for, as I mentioned, writing this book and for this interview. And is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners?
1: Uh, yes, um, often when I say horses should be live, living on a track, uh, people get angry at me and often people that have their horses in livery because they feel like they don't deserve to have a horse because they don't, uh, they aren't able to have a horse at home and build a track. But they shouldn't feel like that. What I would advise them is that they talk about it to other people, and they talk to uh, the yard owner, and they, they keep looking for solutions. Don't just accept the status quo, is what I would actually say. Don't accept the situation. Just keep looking for better for your horse. Um, and don't feel like you're being attacked in any way. The only thing that the horses request from you is that you don't give up, but that you try to find a way that is better for your horse. That is all the horse asking and that's all what I ask. Mm. And don't feel uh, like you're being attacked because you're not, you're being aided here, you're being handed helpful information. Use it. Use it for your horse. You love your horse. So make sure that your horse has his basic needs met. Even though you cannot do it now, that doesn't mean you cannot find a way in the future. Keep
0: looking. The answer will come. Mm. Where can people find you and how can they connect with you? The easiest way,
1: if you just go to dressageinhand.com. Uh, And there you can find uh, the books, uh, the links to my Facebook page, all the other things I'm working on. So that's uh, the easiest way, actually.
0: Okay, I'll uh, I'll link that in our show notes that everybody can um, can check that out. And um, I just want to one more time plug the book. Um, It's called Dressage in Hand. The subtitle is What Horses Want You to Know. And as someone who is currently reading it, um, I can't recommend it enough. It is filled with information um, and I hope everybody gets a chance to read it. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, This was a wonderful episode, not only for um, those listening, but for myself as well. Um, I really enjoyed it and thank you so much.
1: Danielle, thank you for having me. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And it was lovely talking to you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Equestrian Connection podcast by We Horse. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a rating and review as well as share us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at WeHorse underscore USA and check out our free seven-day trial on WeHorse.com, where you can access over 175 courses with top trainers from around the world in a variety of topics and disciplines. Until next time, be kind to yourself, your horses, and others.